0: Thanks, Jim. Thank you. Good morning, everyone. And the response was astounding. (laughs) Good morning, everyone. You are there. That's good. Good. We are looking at a series called uh, The Challenges and Attractions of Doing Life Together. I need to clarify something. Last week I spoke about forgiving other people and I left a point out and it was on the screen and a couple of people came and asked me what it meant. It said, conduct a funeral. Now, I just want to assure you it wasn't meaning that if you couldn't forgive somebody, then you ought to get the shovel out and arrange something. It wasn't, wasn't that at all. It was just to do something symbolic to show that you have forgiven that person. So please, put your shovels away when you get mm-hmm. home. You may wonder why I'm doing this series on uh, the challenges and attractions of doing life together. Well, it ar- Rose- arose out of a a book I've been reading by Steve McAlpine, and it's an award-winning book by an Australian author, and it's called Being the Bad Guys, How to Live for Jesus in a World that Says You Shouldn't. I just want to quote from him. He said, only a few generations ago, Christianity was the good guy, a force for good, the solution to what was bad. Christian morality was assumed, and passed mainly unchallenged. Power structures affirmed Christians. Then something happened. Over the course of the 20th century, we've become just one of the guys, one option among many, a voice to be considered, but not to be followed unquestionably. If Christianity works for you, fine. If it doesn't work for me, also fine. He said, but the problem is that it's not where we are right now, the tide has shifted even further. Increasingly, Christianity is viewed as the bad guy, no longer an option, it's a problem. We're on the wrong side of many issues and conversations around us. What we believe about Jesus is absolutely weird and off-putting to the modern mind and also a direct challenge to its core values and practices. And our views are seen not merely as laughable but as outdated and repressed, not merely is wrong, but dangerous. We're lost both respect and influence. Now, he then goes on to share something positive in response, and one of the many many positive responses he suggests has to do with our community life together, which is why I'm preaching on this. He said, there are historic levels of anxiety, fear, loneliness, mental health issues abounding today with many people feeling lost, hurting, confused, marginalized, rejected, chewed up by the world, and looking for something different, something more, something that offers meaning and hope. An authentic, safe, exciting place to be. A community that is a safe refuge, where people are generally embraced, no matter what their past or baggage, where people are served and supported with their needs, where people are shown grace and strengthened to heal and change, a community where people are welcomed, experience encouragement, experience forgiveness, meaning and hope, and a love that is different to what they find in the world around them. We can be that community. So let's pray. Father, as we come to look at your word this morning, particularly about doing life together and particularly about being in the community you want us to be, please reveal your heart to us. Please anoint every word that's spoken this morning. May you speak to us in such a way that we'll be encouraged to become more and more the people you want us to be. And so reflect your nature and your life to the world around us and hopefully draw many people to Jesus as well. For we ask it in his name. Amen. So we've looked at that community. We looked at welcoming one another, other people. We looked at encouraging people. We looked at forgiving people. And what, But what matters most? Well, let me tell you a story about a visit to the chemist. George was age 92 and Edith 89. And they're all excited about their decision to get married. And they go for a stroll to discuss the wedding on the way they pass a chemist and George suggests that they go in, and he addresses the man behind the counter. Are you the owner? And the pharmacist answers, yes. We're about to get married. Do you sell heart medication? Of course we do, said the pharmacist. How about support hose stockings for circulation? Definitely. What about medicine medicine for rheumatism, osteoporosis and arthritis? All kinds, said the chemist. How about waterproof furniture pads? and absorbent disposable underwear. Yes, sir, he said. Hearing aids, denture supplies, sleeping pills, vitamins and nutrient drink? Absolutely, said the chemist. Do you sell wheelchairs and walkers and canes? All kinds and sizes, said the chemist. But why all the questions? George smiles and he replies to the pharmacist. We'd like to use your store for our bridal registry. (laughs) and Our nominated place for wedding gifts. (laughs) Ah, to be in love in your 90s. (laughs) What matters most? Rick Warren says in The Purpose Driven Life, because God is love, the most important lesson he wants you to learn on earth is how to love. It's in loving that we are most like him. So love is the foundation of every command he has given us. Galatians 5, the whole law can be summed up in this one command, love others as you love yourself. He goes on to say, of course, God wants us to love everyone, but he's particularly concerned that we love others in the family. Why do they get priority in loving? Because God wants his family to be known for its love more than anything else. Mark Connor we wrote a book called Transforming Your Church and was the p- former pastor of our City Life Church in Wanturna. says, God wants us as the church to shift our focus from just having events to the development of meaningful relationships between people so that the church becomes a caring Christian community. For too long, church has been a thing we do go to. An event or experience rather than a community of people closely networked together in loving relationships serving Christ together what matters most well the heart of God and the heart of Jesus is that we love one another and in that first reading that uh, Jim read to us from John 13 you know that Jesus was washing the disciples feet uh, taking the role of a servant and then after having done that he predicts his betrayal and then he instructs Judas to go and do what he's going to do quickly and then he tells the disciples that he will not be with them in the way that he's been with them up till now. It'll be rather different. What will keep them together? Love. What will give them success? Love. What will impress their enemies, even though they may not admit it? It's love. And Jesus says, a new command I give to you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my followers, my disciples, if you have love one for the other. He says the number one feature of us as followers of Jesus is not what we say, not what we do. It's uh, our love for one another. This is the distinguishing feature of a Christian. We should stand out as a community, but also outside these walls as people who are marked by the love of Jesus. The command to love one another is not new. In Leviticus 9, for example, it says, love your neighbour as yourself. What is new and what is a revolutionary change is the quality of love that we're to love one another with. Jesus said, as I have loved you, you are to love one another. The love we're to show one another and to be a feature of our personal lives in church is not the the love of the world around us, which, if you look at the love in the world around us, sometimes can be self-focused, sometimes has conditions attached, sometimes is sexual by nature, sometimes it's temporary and fleeting, sometimes it has limits. I came across a story about a, a love of the world around us and it was written by a girl called Mari. She says, dearest Jimmy, no one could ever express the great unhappiness I've felt since breaking our engagement off Please say you'll take me back. No one could ever take your place in my heart. So please forgive me. I love you. I love you. I love you. Yours forever, Mari. P.S. And congratulations on winning the lottery. <laughs> the love we're to love one another with is not the love that we see in the world around us. We're to love one another in the same way Jesus loves and modeled it to us. It's never before in human history has anyone walked this planet and loved people the way that Jesus loved people. And he said, as I have loved others, you are to love one another. What should set us apart as a community from every group or organisation? What will bless our life together? What will point to the supernatural presence of Jesus among us? What will attract many looking for something more in life? What is this? will be the same unique love seen in Jesus now in us and flowing out of us? Well, what will that love look like? It's easy to talk about the love of Jesus. What will that love of Jesus look like? It's interesting that in the New Testament, the New Testament writers had to come up for a new word. To actually describe Jesus' love. So different was it to what they'd seen in life. And they came up with a word, as you probably know, called agape love or agape love. And what does it look like? What does Jesus' love or agape love look, look, look like? Well, although it, it involves most times uh, affection for others, it's more than a natural affection or emotion or feeling. Sometimes when Jesus or when we love people, the affection may not be there. And the people that we look at may not be worthy of our love, but it loves people regardless of our feelings and emotions. It's a love that reveals itself in actions and in serving. It's not just full of words. And in 1 John, you heard that passage which said, Brothers and sisters, don't just love your brothers and sisters in words only, but in actions as well. It's looking to serve the needs of others. It's a decision, it's a choice. To unselfishly seek the highest good for others, to selflessly seek to do what's best for other people, putting their needs and their well being before our own, and often in spite of our personal feelings. It's a giving love. God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. It's a self giving love, it's a self sacrificing love, unselfish and unconditional love with no strings attached. It's laying down our lives to bless and benefit others, whether or not they are deserving of it, and no matter what personal cost to us, and without any guarantee of receiving anything back. It's the love seen in Jesus. It abandons any thought of living for ourselves, and it's living entirely for others. David Watson says, Christian love is no way based on self-interest. Nor is it based on feelings or emotions. It's based on a decision to seek the other person's highest good. This doesn't mean, he says, that Christian love is rigid or joyless, something that we must grit our teeth and plunge into. Faithfulness and determination are essential, but it's from this committed love that joy and affection blossom forth in our relationships. The world expects to build lasting relationships on emotions or self-interest, which is a shaky foundation. He said, the Lord teaches us to lay down our lives to one another unreservedly and joy and affection will follow. Now, I'm just going to ask you a very embarrassing question. This is a good time to look at the floor so you don't catch my eye. Is that the sort of love that flows from you? When you look at agape love, when you put your life next to Jesus, is that the sort of love that we have in our life? Or do we sometimes love one another with the same sort of love that we see in the world? I wonder. Interesting to hear children's thoughts on love and on uh, loving other people. Uh, I came across a genie who was uh, eight said, if you want to be loved by somebody who isn't already in your family, it doesn't hurt to be beautiful. Another one said, love is like sharing your last cookie, even if you really want it all to yourself. And well, I love what Nika says, in, who's six. If you want to learn to love better, you should start with a friend who you hate. Now that's good practice. And Rebecca Eight said, when my grandmother got arthritis, she couldn't bend over and paint her nails anymore. So my grandfather did it for her all the time, even when his hands got arthritis too. That's love. And Lauren Four, <laughs> who's four years of age, I know, I know my older sister loves me, because she gives me all her old clothes and sadly has to go out and buy new ones (laughs) she'll learn if you look at the New Testament again and again Paul, John, Peter, all of them (laughs) and Ringo, um, they all talk about loving one another as Christ loved us And I I guess the the passage that stands out most of all, and you know what it says, is 1 Corinthians 13. Now, sadly, as you know, we often use this at wedding uh, services as a service, um, as a sermon. Um, But actually, it's written between chapter 12 and chapter 14. Surprising, that's why they call it 13. And um, in chapter 12, it's talking about spiritual gifts. And the church, you probably all know all this, was a... uh, elevating spiritual gifts some over over others and it became a divisive thing and uh, chapter 14 goes on to spiritual gifts again and this chapter is put in the middle to say hey spiritual gifts are good but it's more, there's one more important thing that you should embrace and it's how you love one another I've actually got it on the screen behind me it's in the message translation let me read it to you if I speak with human eloquence and angelic ecstasy but don't love I'm nothing but the creaking of a rusty gate. If I speak God's word with power, revealing all his mysteries and making everything plain as day. And if I have faith that says to a mountain jump, and it jumps, but I don't love, I'm nothing. If I give everything I own to the poor and even go to the stake to be burned as a martyr, but I don't love, I've got nowhere. So no matter what I say, no matter what I believe and what I do, I'm bankrupt without love. Love never gives up. Love cares more for others than for self. Love doesn't want what it doesn't have. Love doesn't strut. It doesn't have a swelled head. It doesn't force itself on others. It doesn't fly off the handle. It doesn't keep score of the sins of others. And it doesn't revel when others grovel. It takes pleasure in the flowering of truth. It puts up with anything. Trusts God always. Always looks for the best. Never looks back. But keeps going to the end. Love never dies. That's the love of Jesus for us. That's the love that we are meant to show one another. And I guess it raises the question, how do we love like Jesus? And I want you to be honest with me for a moment. It may be just my issue, but I suspect it's true of all of us. When we look around at our brothers and sisters in Christ, here and further afar, while there are many that we warm to, and we thought, I can love them, they're very much like me, or they've got a great personality, or, uh, or whatever it may be. Don't you find that apart from Jesus, there are others that you have little in common with? If it wasn't for Jesus, you wouldn't be sitting here next to one another? Would you agree? And don't you find that many are so different to us? And some, we find their ways really irritate and get up our nose. Do you ever feel that way? Come on, be honest, you can nod, Yes. And we ask ourselves, how on earth can we love one another when we're so different? How on earth can we love one another with Jesus' love when he set the bar so high? Yes, I can love like the world loves, but how do I love like Jesus loves? Well, let me give you just a few clues, 155 actually. Um, If we're to love one another like Jesus, we may have to deal with issues within us or between us that keep us from loving one another. We each need to take responsibility for seeing the love of Jesus become a stronger feature in our churches. We need to be praying passionately for the love of Jesus to fill our lives and our church and being alert that the enemy's work is to undermine that. We need to be looking and studying how Jesus loved, reading the the Bible, reading scripture passages about his love, 1 Corinthians 13, Isaiah 53. And we need to be asking ourselves in any given situation with another brother or sister, what would Jesus do in this situation? How would he love this person? Now, all those are helpful suggestions, but I just want to close and suggest two keys to loving one another that are often forgotten. First of all we need to welcome and embrace and be constantly filled with the holy spirit. In Romans chapter 5 verse 5 it says God's love is poured into our hearts through the holy spirit who is being given to us. And in Galatians 5:22 the fruit of the spirit is love. As we allow the Holy Spirit to fill our lives and direct our lives and fill us with his power, he works in a supernatural way to bear the fruit of love, Jesus' love, in our lives. It's not the product of our faith. It's not the product of our hard work for God. It's not the product of anything we can do. It's the Spirit's work. It's the Spirit's doing. He somehow makes it happen. I worry uh, when I hear a lot of Christians who when the Holy Spirit comes up, they almost manifest and and take, I don't want to talk about the Holy Spirit, it's too divisive and so on. But the Holy Spirit is the key to the Christian life. The Christian life is a supernatural life and we cannot live it in our own strength and energy. It's a power that the Holy Spirit gives us to follow Jesus. And it's the love that the Holy Spirit gives us to love one another as Jesus loves us. So the first one is to embrace the Spirit of God in our life. The second one, key, I believe, is to be loved and then love. The starting point to loving one another is learning to receive God's love, agape love, into the very depths of our lives. Love for one another begins not by giving love, but by receiving the love of Christ. Brent Rue says, to love fully, we need help from an outside source. We need a love transfusion. We give love by first receiving it. In 1 John 4 it says, we love because he first loved us and so we know and rely on the love God has for us. The first step of love, he says, is not toward others but towards Jesus. The secret to loving is first receiving God's personal, powerful passionate love for us. I suspect that for a lot of Christians, we know in our head that God loves us. And if I asked you, does God love you, you could probably recite maybe half a dozen verses about God's love for you. But sometimes we know it up here, but we don't experience it in our life, in our hearts. There's a gap between our head knowledge and our heart experience. And sadly, I've come across so many <laughs> uh, Christians and clergy who can preach the gospel and whatever it may be but there's no love that flows out from them so it's been described as the gospel on ice um, because there's no love it it hasn't touched their heart yet John Piper is a well-known pastor author of many books Presbyterian minister in America very well-respected theologian and he says this as followers of Jesus Many of us know in our heart and mind that God loves us. But when the Apostle Paul says in Romans 5, God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, what he's talking about is a real, authentic heart experience down here, not just an argument for God's love. It's a love, he says, that's felt and experienced in the heart, an opening of our, the eyes of our heart to the wonderful, extravagant, unconditional infinite amazing unstoppable beautiful love that God has shown for us in the death of his son he goes on to say the authentic experience of God's love in our heart is the work of God it's supernatural the Holy Spirit makes it happen it's not a once-off experience it's a keeps happening fresh outpouring some greater some lesser that can come again and again and again to our lives and should be pursued in our lives as well. He says in 2 Thessalonians 3, 5, it says, may the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God. And he says that means God, may God give our hearts a sight of the love of God, which is more attractive, more satisfying, more valuable than any ordinary earthly things. And Brent Rue adds, the love of God gets you into heaven And it also gives you a taste of heaven on earth. So I want to ask you a question this morning. I know that you know the love of God up here, but have you experienced it in your heart? Are you experiencing it afresh regularly in your life? Is there a fresh revelation of the love of God down here? Are you at times with him and all of a sudden you're overwhelmed with the love of God for you? Because that's the key to loving others. Be loved then love it's receiving in order to give that love to others so how do we receive and experience God's love in our heart well Max Licardo says as we come to experience God's agape love the love of Jesus seep into the innermost recesses of our life an unexpected undeserved undeniable gift of God we discover that Jesus love for others then flows out within it from within us him loving others through us He says, be loved, then love. We cannot love one another effectively if we aren't first loved. Now, I know you're sitting there on the edge of your seat saying, I want that sense of God's love in my life. How do I receive it, Ken? Well, I'm glad you asked because that's the next point down here. How do we receive God's love? Well, sometimes God's love floods our hearts sovereignly. We could be in a situation, we could be listening to a music, we could be walking to the forest or seeing a scene or or whatever it may be and suddenly there's a sense that falls upon us suddenly that our hearts are full and and a sense of God's love for us so it can come sovereignly. But I also sense we need to ask the Lord to fill our hearts with his love. How do you do that? Well, maybe spend some time in worship, maybe listen to a, a CD and just let him minister his love and presence to you. Sometimes it's helpful to be still in his presence and simply ask us to fill us with an awareness of his love that surpasses knowledge. Sometimes we can ponder and reflect on Bible passages about his love and ask him as we look at those passages, God, would you reveal your love to me, not just in my head but in my heart as well. But the other way I've found that I experience the love of God probably most of all is when I ask people to pray over me. I can remember some time ago going to a conference and feeling dry uh, and broken and not wanting to go back into ministry. And uh, I was, it was an invitation to come forward and be prayed for. And people laid hands on me and, and, um, and prayed for me. And I've never sensed the love of God like I did then. I probably needed to be vulnerable and let somebody else pray for me. But it just changed my whole, whole whole being. I was just in his presence. I didn't want to leave his presence. I enjoyed it so much. I was walking down the street, which is a pretty rough area in Sydney, and I just could have floated on cloud nine. I thought, Lord, if I step out in front of the lights and it's red and I, I get it by mistake and I get hit by a truck, I don't care. This is, this is your presence. Just take me away. I want to be with you. Such was the love of God. But, but I had to be prayed for to receive that. But we need to be actively pursuing the love of God in our life. Let me close and just say this incredible power comes with loving one another with Jesus' love. It brings blessing. It releases the blessing of God on our personal lives but on our church. It shows that we belong to Jesus. It's a powerful weapon for unity and spiritual warfare. It makes God visible to the world. It's a prophetic sign of what heaven will be like when they see the love of Jesus amongst us here on earth and it attracts others to our community and to following Jesus. Let me close and give you a challenge. I think it's time we, as followers of Jesus, learnt what's really important to our Lord, the Lord of the church. Important though it may be, it's not buildings, it's not programs, it's not slick worship, It's not the latest up to date contemporary smoke machine or whatever it may be. It's not brilliant preaching. It's not even powerful praying. What the Lord of the church longs for amongst his people is that we walk in love as he loved us. He longs to look upon a church and see his love reflected in our relationships with one another. This is the number one desire of Jesus for the church. And the link between Christ's love for us and our love for one another is a fruit-bearing Holy Spirit. Be loved before you start trying to love others. Tertullian was an early church father and also a rock singer. Uh, He recorded what pagans, unbelievers said of Christians in the first century, and he said this, those outside the church are saying this over and over again, look how the Christians love one another that's what they saw look at the christians how they love one another that's what the lord longs that we will hear in our community as well they may not want to be part of us they may disagree with our views but may they always say look how the people of saint mark's love one another would you join me in prayer encourage us just in a quiet moment just to respond maybe just to thank the Lord for his amazing agape love the model he set for us but also the way that he loves us maybe this morning too we we could pray and say Lord I want to know your love not just in my head but in my heart Lord fill me fill my innermost being with your love And then Lord, what would you have me do to see your agape love overflow from my heart to others around me?